So here, the reading of God's holy word, Mark 8, 27-30. into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say, Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Shall we pray? O Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit in power and might and fullness and with clarity to our understanding and to our obedience. With faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Is Jesus worth living for, is the question. But so few know who he really is, and even fewer believe in him. Imagine when they were asked by our Lord, that is his disciples, whom the men say that I am, and they came up with several answers, all of which were incorrect. And then how he directed the question toward them themselves. And Peter answered in behalf of them all, Thou art the Christ. The very fulfillment of all of our Old Testament scriptures and prophecies. The fulfillment of everything from the Word of God that has to do with our eternal salvation. Is Jesus worth living for? When Jesus' life would come to such a tragic end, and he even alluded to that in verse 31 when he began to teach them how the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, the very ones who taught the Word of God, who completely missed their Messiah, taught in their scriptures. And then he says, and he killed. And he killed. And after three days, rise again. Is Jesus worth living for? When Peter, the chief spokesman for the apostolic band, next in authority to, to Jesus himself, <coughs> at this very crucial point, stood adamantly against what was Christ's heavenly mission. When he began to openly rebuke his Lord, saying, You cannot. I will not let this happen. In another gospel, he says, Be this far from you, Lord. This will never happen. I will die for you, Lord. I will die with you. But he rebuked the Lord. Is this a Jesus? Is this a leader worth living for in light of his own followers having very significant issues with his very mission? Is Jesus worth living for when he would publicly, publicly call out this follower on the truth and actually call him Satan? And the name Satan means stumbling block. It says in verse 33, But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. As if he was calling Peter Satan himself. For Satan is after one thing, that is to thwart the work of Christ and to thwart the building of of the church and to thwart the building of God's kingdom. Whatever it takes to stop that, he would do. Even to use the very disciples of our Lord, such as he did in the case of Peter. If Jesus is worth living for, why did Jesus put down his disciples and say they saved the things of men and not of God? Would this not discourage his very followers? Would this not set them off the right path? In the Jewish mindset of the time, they believed that Messiah would be a military leader who would drive out the Roman invaders from their country. Can that be wrong to want to live freely, to want to have freedom? To want to be able to be free to worship as they choose. To have the freedom of assembly. To have the freedom of speech. To have the freedom to preach the gospel. Pontius Pilate was suspicious of Christ as well as the disciples of our Lord. In John 18.33, for example. John 18.33 turn to it. As our Lord was captured at this time 
brought through a mock trial and then at one point brought before Roman judge Pontius Pilate and it says in John 18.33 then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him art thou the king of the Jews? Now he had vested interest in this of course for one if he was the king of the Jews he would be a potential threat perhaps this is a king that they were that was unbeknownst to them a king that was hidden from their sight and now they are faced with having to deal with and so he suspected our Lord of being a king, an earthly king. Something that his disciples were wishing for, were desiring. Only to be corrected by Christ standing in chains before him. When in verse 36 of John 18, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You see, it was never that. It was never what the covenant people of God, Israel, the Jews, thought that Messiah would be. And that is a military leader to set them free at this time and place from the Roman Caesar and his armies. It is not what Pontius Pilate suspected at all. And I'm sure that with his answer that he will see from the very mouth of the one who was questioned and on trial, he was set at ease. And then, as you might recall, he would say, to the religious leaders who are there waiting for an answer from him as to whether he will process in the world's court this man as one deserving of the death penalty or not. He would say to them, I find no fault in him. To which the mobs replied, crucify him, crucify him, even after he recommended that someone who was worthy of condemnation, Barabbas, should be executed instead. Crucify him. Crucify him. Is Jesus worth living for when he had powers that no one else had and would not use them for his glory by single-handedly taking on his captors, such as in Matthew 26.53 Matthew 26.53 This was after Peter had taken his sword and struck and cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest, Malchus, 
He said, put away thy sword, verse 52. Put it into, your, into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. So, did he have power to single-handedly take them all on if he wanted to? Indeed. Did he? Not. No. Is Jesus worth living for? When becoming his disciples requires giving up everything. Back to our passage in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Without breaking that down, without dissecting that, rightly dividing that for you, it appears to me that he is requiring that his disciples who will follow him give up everything. And what for? For a futile cause that would no doubt end in total defeat, annihilation by the world's forces, by the crucifixion of their very leader. And that would end the effort. Is Jesus worth living for? When you're going to die a humiliating, miserable death right along with your Lord and Savior. Verse 35 of Mark 8. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Notice the first part. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Shall lose it. What is this implying? Although we don't like to think of it, who likes to think of your own death? Who likes to think of dying a violent death? Who likes to think of being persecuted unto death by those who hate the gospel? Nobody does. Am I correct? And yet our Lord says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. We must be willing to lose our lives, to die for the gospel. That's what he meant when he says, and take up one's cross. It didn't mean that we have some little cross that we carry on our shoulder, but we're still alive. It means to be willing to even die on a cross, as even some of his disciples did later on. But wait. Jesus continues in verse 35. Did he not? 
And he says, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same shall save it. What is the gospel? It is the good news. That's what gospel means. It is good news. Well, this doesn't sound like good news. Dying doesn't sound like good news. Suffering and pain and agony that might come at the hand of one's perseverance doesn't sound like good news at all. Who wants that? We don't. Perhaps that's why the church is the way it is. Self-quarantine instead of being out there in the highways and byways as our Lord bids us to do, as He tells us to do, as He did His disciples of old. There is good news in the midst of all this misery and suffering and death that is going on even in other lands as we hear about. And even as it's beginning to run over into our land. Didn't previously say in verse 31 that there is good news? He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. There's the good news. In the Bible, there is one who was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac. And it says in the New Testament, in the commentary on that event of his offering up his son Isaac on the altar, like an animal, says that by faith he believed that his son would be raised from the dead. doesn't quite deal with all the fears <coughs> and consternation and anxieties that go along with anticipating death. And especially if it is in your proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ that you encounter resistance and resistance of a kind that will become reactionary on the part of those who refuse it and who reject it like the religious leaders of Christ's day rejected Christ. But it is a comfort to know that there is a resurrection. It is a comfort to know that after this life is over, that we will go to be with the Lord. It is a comfort to know that we will be in the resurrection unto life and not resurrection that will be unto damnation because there are two resurrections as it were. One to heaven one to life in heaven and the other to hell one to life in hell and that we who are faithful and true as our Lord Jesus was the faithful and true one who goes before us will be in the form or not in the life. The gospel is good news. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 
1 through 4. The Apostle Paul records, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news. That is what we preach. We don't preach anything else but that. We don't de determine to know anything else in anyone except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. He says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, meaning unto salvation. And wherein you stand, you've taken a stand, when you become a Christian, you take a stand for the Lord. You're not just saved so that you have this free ticket to heaven and, 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 and are whisked away like on some chariot of fire up, up into the clouds and into heaven. Oh no, oh no. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is taking a stand now, taking a stand here, taking a stand for Christ. If you really count Him to be your Lord, if you really believe that He is the only way, and the only truth, and the only life, and I'll tell you this, if you do, if you do believe that, you will preach that. And if you preach that, and I don't mean preach like necessarily like what I'm doing, but if you witness, if you tell others, if your heart is just overflowing with, with thankfulness and love to God for His great redemption for you, and it overflows to others, just that compassion that God has shown you, that you want God to show to them, your neighbors, your relatives, your oikos, those people in your network. What about them? Have you given them the gospel yet? How many years? How long for them will you wait? Some of them are in the harvest of their lives, and they still are not saved. Will they ever be saved? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Only the Lord knows, yes. But unless you open your mouth, unless you speak, and don't wait for someone else to do it, because God is looking at you, and God is speaking to you. Enemy, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. He goes on, the apostle does in verse 2, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That's a possibility. It's always a possibility. Perhaps one is not yet saved, is what he's implying. Because if you are saved, it's going to come out. It's going to want to come out. And then he goes on, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And this is the heart of the good news. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That is everything. That is everything. If someone that you talk to gives you that as an answer. Maybe that's all he knows. Maybe he or she doesn't know more, but, but they, they know that much. They know, like the hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because he demonstrated that love in dying for my sins on the cross, and I am forever his. And that is my reason. That is everything. That is everything. It's not all, but it is the heart. Because 
His substitutionary death. His atoning sacrificial death on the cross is the very reason God can accept us. Because God's judgment and His wrath was poured out on Calvary, on the cross, on our Lord, in His body, and in His soul. To the extent that He even for Lord of life itself, and life for Him was His relationship with His Father, so that He cried out, Why hast thou forsaken me? Because without the Father, He may as well be God. And yet he experienced that alienation and separation and exile from his heavenly Father, the sinners like you, so that we can be reconciled to God and have fellowship with God. And not just that, but we have the adoption of children of Jesus Christ as children of God by the Holy Spirit through the Father. We become children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that to me is a good And then it goes on. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So it is good news. It ends with a triumphant victory over the dark domain of sin. It ends by the conquest of the gates of hell, which are shut closed to the children of God. Heidelberg Catechism question 45 asks, what benefit do we receive from the resurrection of Christ? I'm speaking on the, on the last aspect of his work on earth, okay? His resurrection. And the answer is, first, by his resurrection, he has overcome death. That he might make us partakers of the righteousness which he obtained for us by his death. We obtained righteousness by the death of the sinless Son of God who became sin for us, that he who knew no sin, becoming sin for us, might make us the righteousness of God in him. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. And then second, by his power, we are also now raised up to a new life. We have a new life in Christ. We are a new creation. All things are passed away of our past. All things are becoming new with our present in the presence of God and our future one day in His very physical presence in heaven. And then third, the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Meaning that we are assured that just as Christ being in heaven is representation of our flesh, so we too will physically be with the Lord. So it is worth living for Jesus. So it is worth whatever we have to suffer in His name. Think about this. One last consideration. And that is verse 36 and 37 of our passage in Mark. Chapter 8. And what is that? <clears throat> For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Is Jesus worth living for? When the alternative is unthinkable. When one who is in a state of being outside of the kingdom of God dies, he continues outside of the kingdom of God in the next life. And that is forever. No matter what may be said by those who deny the existence of an eternal hell. Because what eternal hell finally represents is the absence of God. It represents the holiness of God when we sin and what sin deserves at the hand of the Holy God. There's no denying that. One would have to deny that God is holy to deny hell. And to think that this is where many that we know who are outside of Christ are headed should be unthinkable. And rather than mesmerize us and rather than paralyze us, it should cause us to get on our knees before God and to pray for their eternal souls. To remember the words of our Lord as we pray, what shall a prophet of man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? And then may it prompt us to pray, Lord, who will go to these to give them the gospel? Then for us to pray, Lord, Send me some. This is what it means to live for Christ. Jim Elliott, whose biography I shared with you in this article from Christianity Today, said this He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, meaning his earthly life, to gain that which he cannot lose, and that is eternal. I'll say it one more time. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Spurgeon also said this, If God and Jesus and the devil are after your soul, and not after the world, what does that tell you about the value of your eternal soul? In conclusion, is it worth living for Jesus? I hope I've made a case for it being worthwhile to live for Jesus. But there is one more verse at the very end of our passage in which our Lord says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this, this generation is just as adulterous and as sinful as Jesus' generation when he first said this. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Are you ashamed of Jesus and his words?
challenging. This is unchallenged. Why? The Bible says that the fear of man breathes the snare, meaning that when you have the fear of man in front of you instead of the fear of God, it's so easy to get caught in the snare of doing nothing, of showing the Lord nothing for all that the Lord has done for you and for me. It is so easy. But it goes on to say, and this is from Proverbs 29, 25, but whoso put his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Shall be safe. Our Lord said elsewhere, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan, how much more shall they call them of his household? You know, the world will, will call you anything. The world will throw anything at you. Every lie, every falsehood, every evil word or thing at you just to get away from the gospel. That's how much they hate God. That's how much they hate Christ. That's how much they hate the Holy Spirit. But that's not you and me, is it? And our love for them, in spite of them, is such that we would put up with all of the above. God help us. If we can win an eternal soul. Paul said, and I end with this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. Romans 1 16. Pray that God will give you and me the grace to be able to pray this and then to be able to stand up and declare this. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that most marvelous gospel of salvation, whereby we, upon believing by faith in Him and repenting of our sins, have come to be saved. Thank you, O oh Lord, that instilled the power of God, the dynamite of God into salvation, to break up that foul ground of our hearts, to cultivate and to make it good ground that will receive the word, the gospel of Christ our Savior. Lord, continue your work in our lives. Continue to use us as you will in your kingdom.